Section 29 of Antonia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Antonia by George Sand, translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter 7, Part 2. He had one last hope, which he had thought best not to suggest to Julie, namely, to prevail upon Monsieur Antoine. He drove to his house first, but he wasted there all the eloquence of his heart and his reason. The selfish fellow was happy, triumphant. He was drinking his revenge with gusto, and he did not propose to leave a drop in the bottom of the glass. All that Marcel could obtain after exchanging many reproaches and invectives, was that Julian and his mother should be left in ignorance of the bargain by which they were made rich. You were trying to do a very difficult thing, he said. Do not make it impossible. Madame d'Astrel is the only one who has submitted thus far. Julian would surely resist. Deceive him unless you wish to make Julie's submission useless to your vengeance. You tire me with your Julie, cried Monsieur Antoine. She deserves a great deal of pity, doesn't she, when I am giving her everything. Fortune, social consideration, and liberty. Yes, liberty to die of grief. As if people died of that. Pretty twaddle in a lawyer's mouth. Let her make a good marriage suited to her rank. I won't oppose it. She can marry anyone she chooses. I bar nobody but the dauber. Within a fortnight she will open her eyes and thank me. She will recognize my grandeur of soul and will call me her benefactor. Upon my word, you are all cracked. I pull hundreds of thousands of francs from my pocket. I throw them by the handful to ingrates and fools and they call me cruel kinsman, hard heart, old hound, old miser, and God knows what. The world is upside down just now on my word. They won't call you all those names, uncle. They won't call you any name. There are no names to describe the oddity of your character, and nobody else in the world could have discovered the secret of causing the hand that enriches to be cursed. Ah, you are using big words. You fancy you're at the bar. Off with you. You bore me to death. Tell your Julian whatever you choose. I don't want to see him or you or anybody. I am going back to the country. That is to say that you will shut yourself up here and barricade yourself against all the strong arguments I can bring forward. Possibly. Now you know that your strong arguments will be wasted. They will stay at the door. Marcel was careful not to tell his uncle that there was a much simpler and less expensive way to prevent the marriage, namely, to abandon Madame d'Estrelle to her destruction and trust to the wise and generous reflections to which she had opened her mind. Nor did he feel called upon to tell him that she refused his gifts. After all, he thought, who knows how long this passion will last? In a short time, perhaps, Julie will have conquered it, 
And then it will be very agreeable to her to know that she is free and still rich. He and Monsieur Antoine drew up a conditional discharge of the whole of her debt, and he succeeded in procuring the insertion of this important modification, that Madame d'Estral was at liberty to enter into wedlock with anyone she chose, except an untitled person. He procured Monsieur Antoine's signature and sealed to the document, and put it in his pocket, pending an opportune time to hand it to Madame de Strel, that is to say, when she should be less agitated. The deed of gift of the house at Severus and of an income of 5,000 francs in the public funds was all ready. Marcel had to fight a terrible battle to prevent the insertion of a restriction analogous to that to which Julie was expected to submit. He argued that, as Julie had promised not to marry Julian, it was entirely useless for Julian to pledge himself not to marry Julie. But Julie can very easily give up her fortune, and then when the other has made enough to live on, I shall have made a fine mess of it. I shall have married them. No, no, I propose to have a letter from this lady pledging herself on her honor and her religion, never again in her lifetime to see this gentleman, with his name all spelled out. Women are bound tighter by such gilt-edged notes than by all your parchments. They are more afraid of scandal than of pettifogging. I must have that billet doux addressed to me, or I'll not let anything go. You shall have it, said Marcel. And he hurried away to the pavilion. Julian was intensely agitated. He had not dared to ask any questions at the hotel. He had sent his mother to reconnoiter, and she found all the apartments on the garden side closed. He did not know whether the dowager was still there. He knew nothing of Monsieur Antoine's visit and Julie's departure. He was surprised that, after confiding in Madame Thierry, she could not find time to send her three lines to set her mind at rest as to the results of the disturbance caused by the dowager. He anxiously awaited the evening. Black thoughts rushed into his mind. Who knows that the dowager and Monsieur Antoine have not plotted together to have Julie abducted and confined in a convent on the grounds of misconduct. At that time, it was no longer very easy to obtain letters to cachet, but by going through formalities, an ex post facto judgment, etc., arbitrary incarceration could still be accomplished under the forms of law, especially as an intrigue with a plebeian might still be looked upon in official society as a scandal which a family was entitled to put down. Julian was going mad when Marcel arrived. Madame Thierry was downcast and very sad. Marcel saw that was not the moment to be outspoken. I have some news for you, he said, forcing himself to assume an untroubled and even cheerful countenance. We were about to sign when Uncle Antoine appeared like a god from the clouds at the opera. He lost his temper and had a row with the dowager, who, up to that time, had been acting in concert with him against Madame d'Estrel. But he has repented of his folly. 
he proposes to give you a magnificent indemnity. He takes this opportunity to make amends for all the wrong he has done. And he does it handsomely, I must say. So be grateful to him for it. Also, for his intention to deal handsomely with Madame de Strel. He will probably leave her twice as much as the dowager intended to leave her. So she thought that it was her duty to show her gratitude by yielding at once to a whim he had of turning her out of the hotel. She has gone, cried Julian, turning pale. Gone, gone. She is going to pass a few days in the country. What is there so surprising in that? Ah, Marcel, said Madame Thierry, you see, you don't know. I do not wish to know anything outside of the serious matters which require all my attention, Marcel replied with decision. I have heard today many foolish remarks, offensive insinuations, and impertinent comments. I prefer to believe none of them, and to remember none of them. The name of Madame Julie Destrel is sacred to me, but I have advised her to disappear for a few days. To disappear, echoed Julian, still in dire distress. Parbleu, one would think we were in Madrid and that she had been immune for life in a convent cell. What is the cause of this tragic mood? I simply urged her to pretend to be dead for a week or two long enough to settle her affairs and find out where she stands. Let us keep quiet and show neither anxiety nor displeasure on account of her absence. Let us not stir up the Marchioness's evil designs, which Monsieur Antoine's intervention has blocked to some extent for the moment. Above all, let us make sure that Julie does not lose the rich old man's protection and esteem. This is no time to puzzle over the man's strange logic. The devil could not explain it. The thing to do, to make the most of it. And no one of us three must think of himself or of anything but Madame de Strel's future. Thereupon, he went into detailed calculations which compelled Julian's attention. It was a matter of saving a modest competence for Julie by a little prudence, or of throwing it away by excessive pride. Her reputation was not yet compromised in society, and it was entirely unnecessary that it should be. Thus far, the plot against her formed by the Marchioness and Monsieur Antoine had not been executed. They had been waiting for her to provoke the explosion by an attempt to resist the dowager's claims. It was Monsieur Antoine's duty now to protect Julie against the charges of which he was the author. He alone could do it, having in his pocket weapons against the common enemy. He was inclined to do it. He was penitent after his manner. He hated the Marchioness. He insisted that everything should be left to him to settle. They must simply bow their heads and wait in silence. Julian was still ill at ease on one point. Did Monsieur Antoine propose to take full charge Madame d'Estrel's destiny and willpower in order to bring her to consent to the abominable idea of marrying him? Marcel was able to reassure him completely in that respect, 
and he gave him his word that Fancy had permanently moved out of the old Sphinx's brain. Finally, Julian asked Marcel if he would also give him his word that he had advised Julie to go away suddenly, if she was free to return when she chose, and if she was thoroughly convinced that her absence would be of benefit to herself and only to herself. Marcel was able to swear that all this was true. Of course you know where she is, queried Julian. I do know, but I cannot tell anyone. She made me promise. If she desires to confide her whereabouts to anybody else, she will write. But as she is very anxious that Monsieur Antoine and the Dowager should not know, I think that it will be best for her to have no other confidant but me. Now that all this is cleared up, let me tell you what Monsieur Antoine proposes to give you by way of indemnity for the lease. One moment, said Julian. Was this indemnity demanded, insisted upon by Madame d'Estrelle? Was it not the price of some new torture inflicted on her pride, of some sort of sacrifice on her part? There was nothing whatever to dispute about, said Marcel. Monsieur Antoine declared his purpose without any demand or concession whatsoever. He probably always intended to make you this gift, for he is the owner of the house at Severus, and he gives it to you. Here are your deeds. Mon Dieu, cried Madame Thierry, as she looked over the papers, and an annuity too. I feel as if I were dreaming. I am happy, and I am afraid. Yes, said Julian, still suspicious. There is something unto this. A trap, perhaps. Marcel had great difficulty in inducing them to accept Monsieur Antoine's treacherous gift. He had to tell them, to swear to them, that it was Madame de Strel's earnest desire. He left them as tranquil as possible. Julian struggling not to disturb by his apprehensions the delight which his mother could not but feel at the thought of returning to the home where she had lived happily for so many years. Marcel then hurried to the Hotel d'Estrelle and ordered Camille to pack up such articles as their mistress needed for a brief stay in the country. "'Ah, mon Dieu!' said the amazed Camille. Does not Madame la Comtesse send for me to join her? It is unnecessary for so short a time. But Madame can neither dress nor arrange her hair alone. Think of it. A lady has always been served according to her rank. She will find servants in the house where she is. She must be with some poor people then, since she dislikes to have her own servants boarded there. Perhaps Madame is really ruined herself. Alas, alas, such a kind and generous mistress. Camille began to weep, and although her tears were perfectly sincere, she added, And my wages, Monsieur le Procureur, who will pay them? I will pay everything tomorrow, replied Marcel, who was accustomed to that blending of sentiment and practicalness, which is always noticeable in such disasters. Have all the household accounts prepared, and meanwhile take the keys. You will be responsible for everything until tomorrow. Very good, monsieur. I will be responsible, said the maid, beginning to sob afresh, 
But are we to leave Madame's service? Will Madame not return? I did not say that, and I have received no orders to dismiss you. Marcel wrote to his wife that he had no time for dinner or supper, and that she need not expect him until ten or eleven o'clock at night. He returned to the convent. Julie had exhausted all her vitality in tears. She had risen again. She had bathed her pale face, streaked with a fire of tears in cold water. She was calm, downcast, and resembled a living corpse. She revived a little when she learned that Marcel had succeeded in deceiving Julien and inducing him to accept, without undue suspicion, the comparative affluence which Monsieur Antoine bestowed on his mother and him. She wrote a note to Monsieur Antoine at Marcel's dictation, pledging herself never to see Julian again during her life, on condition that Julian should never be deprived of the house at Severus or the annuity. She would not make a similar stipulation concerning her own fortune, and Marcel did not speak to her as yet of accepting Monsieur Antoine's discharge of her debts. She made no complaint. She was thoroughly exhausted, and Marcel, as he shook hands with her, felt that she was feverish. He persuaded her to see Sister St. Just, his cousin, and he urged the sister to have someone sleep in the next room. He did not go away until he had, with the solicitude of a father, seen everything arranged as he wished. Julie passed a quiet night. Hers was not one of those obstinate natures which struggled for a long time. Her conscience told her that she had done her duty, and the first suffering was so sudden and violent that she soon yielded to exhaustion and slept. The next morning she thanked the nun who had passed the night with her and asked to be left alone. She dressed herself and arranged her hair, and, realizing that she was very awkward and unskillful in waiting on herself, she determined to conquer her habits to put her room to rights and make her bed, arrange her clothes, and establish herself in that poor cell as if she were to pass her life there. She did all this mechanically, without effort and without reflection. When it was done, she sat down, clasped her hands about her knee, and looked out through the open window, but saw nothing, listened to the convent bells, but heard nothing, and did not dare to think of eating although she had taken nothing for twenty-four hours. If lightning had struck in the middle of her room, it would not have startled her. End of section 29